Sunshine Robbery. It feels pretty good around here. So. Anyway, so well, I've had the privilege of just watching Warner Robins explode. I mean, and I mean, it's exploded. You know, every time I come home and visit my parents, there's something new. Mm-hmm. And I completely lost my bearings coming down 96 one day. Because mm-hmm. that's totally been redone. Mm-hmm. I, I was trying to get to Joe and Felicia's house. Oh. And I called her and I'm like, where do I go? <laughs> Joe said, he said, don't feel bad. I got lost coming down two weeks ago. <laughs> Who's been the longest? I don't know. How long? What do you mean, Catherine? Yeah. 
graduated in 97 from there. Okay. Okay. Yeah, so, now y'all about the same. She's a year older than me. Two okay. years, actually. All right. So y'all are right there together. All right, guys. <laughs> Who's the youngest? Who's <laughs> doing, been doing this short? How long? For about, let me think, I got my license in 2016. Okay. So yeah, three years. All right. Mm-hmm. Were you nervous? What, to come and do hair? Yes. Oh, I have seven siblings. I've been doing hair. Oh, well, you're all, right. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they, yeah, basically just been initiated into. I have so much respect for you guys because I would be. Somebody came to me to cut my hair. I no, no. <laughs> <laughs> there was a lot of the, you know, I would have free haircuts. You know, whatever you get is what you get. And you get paid for it. Sort I can't pull it back on. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever? Have you guys? Probably you two can answer this better because you've got more longevity. Have you ever had somebody just get really mad at you and just oh, like, yeah. I did what you asked me to do, kind of, or at least you thought you were doing what they wanted to do? <laughs> How do you handle that? Because I'd be in tears. <laughs> yeah. I think as a hairdresser, I know there have been certain days when you really think you're doing a good job and you find out that you're not saying a lot. Then a good thing is okay. that makes you question, have I made the right decision in this career? Or, you know, but I think.
to physically until they open the door to. Mm -hmm. um, but I am praying for them as I'm being silent. Um, because I've learned over the years that sometimes silence is the best medicine. And when they come in here, sometimes that's all they want is just to talk and have silence. And you not to respond and just listen. Um, because we're not connected to their environment. So when they're connected and they talk to other people, they constantly get what they should be or how they should be what to do, how to do, when to do. So when they come in here, I try to not overstep and just listen quietly to what God wants me to do with them and try not to hurt them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think we see people when they're walking in that suffering and in that grief, we understand that it can be vulnerable. Yeah. We understand the heaviness. I think so often it's like we, we don't want to say the wrong thing and we want to say the right thing at the appropriate time. <laughs> and it's a lot, you feel that pressure. Yeah. You know, I'm sure, you know, most people, even general, the general public, you've heard their stages of grief, you know. And um, kind of the Elizabeth um, Kugler Ross, way back, way back, way back years ago, um, through her own research, came up with these stages. Um, later in her life, she regretted putting these stages out there because she felt it had been misunderstood. But overall, her research is very factual. It's very trustworthy, her research that she did with grief. And it's denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. Um, you know, those type things. Um, and so what's interesting is we kind of, because we live in a culture where you want everything done at a steady pace, in order, how fast can I get from A to B? I mean, that's, the, that's our culture, right? And so, unfortunately, there's no right or wrong way to grieve. There isn't. Every one of us could have the same event happen to all six of us, and we would all grieve differently. We would all grieve at a different pace. Mm -hmm. We would all grieve not necessarily in that order mm -hmm. either. You know what I'm saying? And so, you know, it's kind of interesting. I was As I was driving down this morning, I was like, you know, when's the time that I can really say, like, I've grieved, you know, really pay attention to these stages. I think when you're angry, obviously you're not really paying attention to where you are. And I thought about my grandmother, who's still alive, by the way. She's 89. But she has, I mean, she has complete dementia. I really think it's more Alzheimer's. But I think the doctor's just been gracious and not put that label on her, to be honest. Um, I just saw her Saturday at a wedding. My cousin got married. And if I were to call her today and say something about the wedding, she'd have no memory that she was at the wedding, that she saw her granddaughter get married, you know, kind of thing. Um, she doesn't remember me, you know, anything. And, and she still has her sense of humor intact, which is great because she's a very funny lady. She still has that intact, so that's wonderful. And um, she, for well, my whole life, her, probably her whole life, she's always been like the church in Kansas, wherever she's been. And that's the one thing that has yet to leave her. 
she can sit down her piano to this day and she'll listen to this, mm-hmm. which is amazing mm-hmm. to me. She's lost everything else, but she doesn't freak. I could say, Granny, come go in there and play Amazing Grace, and she'd go and just sit. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, just beautiful. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't. That's that has that music has not left her. But what I realized, I was thinking about it, I said, you know, I think probably over the last seven years, I have grieved her. You know what I'm saying? Because really, I've lost my grandmother. She's here physically, but it's not her. You know what I'm saying? So I've come to find that, that end of this, if I've accepted it, this is where we are with her. And, you know, my prayer for her is, Lord, just, just take her in her sleep and just love it. <laughs> you know, she still likes to go and do, she won't remember she's going and doing, but she still likes people. So if somebody's taking her out to lunch pretty much every day, you know, kind of thing. She's still pretty active. She still likes to get her hair done. That is a key priority to her. So, you know, I had to think, like, where have I been in that? You know, like, that grieving process of someone I have watched a disease take her from us, even though she physically is still here. You know what I'm saying? So, often, Responses to grief, um, usually the first thing is, what do I say? What do you say to somebody, you know, that you know they've lost that loved one or they've been diagnosed with cancer or something's going on with their children or even here, here's one that's kind of out of pocket because we live in, this is a military town, people are moving all the time. That's a whole different aspect of loss. They come in, you know the military, they plug in, they get involved, their kids are in school, they're involved in the school system, they get involved in our community, they dive in 100%. They always know it's short term, but again, it's loss, it's saying goodbye again. You know, growing up here, I pretty much got new friends every four years. And I learned at very early, it was this continuous goodbye with people. And so that's a, that's also a loss. You know, people have said goodbye to dear friends because they're military and now they're moving on. And there's no guarantee they'll ever be back here again. You know, kind of thing. So those are things. So what what do I say? When do I say it? Kind of what you said. <laughs> when do I say it? You know, when's, when's that door appropriate? It's going to open. When do I walk through? Um, what do I do? Have you ever had that? Like, I don't even know it's so tragic. I got called years ago when I was counseling um, down here. I had my office down here. And a school teacher, I'm trying to think of the years. I think that child now would be 17, I think. And I got a call from a principal in elementary school. I did not know this principal. A teacher that also taught there went to Southside. And um, my name was given, and she said, and I said, sure, what's going on? And I didn't know. I mean, it was the week the teachers go back before school mm-hmm. starts. So we were in that week. Their summer was over. And she said, we just had an emergency situation. Your name was given. And I just need counseling there now. And I said, okay. So I got in my car. I, I did not know what I was driving to. I drove over to the elementary school. The principal met me at the door. And they had a teacher who got a call literally just 30 minutes before and their two-year-old was found in the bathroom. Oh. And 
she was too unstable to drive. She, I, as you can, I mean, I can't really imagine that, but you know what I'm saying? She just, her world just fell apart. And, um, but anyway, I remember getting as much information in just a few minutes the principal could get it to me. And I walked in, the principal had her in her office, and I walked out, and this woman is just mm-hmm. on the floor. In, I mean, just inconsolable. I'm a total stranger. So what do you think I was mm-hmm. thinking? Anything I taught counseling just went out the window. Because this is real life. Like, mm-hmm. there's no textbook for this. There's no, it's what do I do? Mm-hmm. What do I do? And all I need to do is get on the floor with her. Mm-hmm. That's all I need to do. I just get on the floor with her. And I cried. Because my mama heart hurt from her mama heart. You know? And we finally got back up in the chairs and sat there and she scraped my hand. I don't think we spoke for an hour. Mm-hmm. I just sat there. Sil- silence. Mm-hmm. Just sat there. Mm-hmm. I just knew she'll speak when she's ready. Mm-hmm. And she looked at me and she said, can you follow me home? Mm-hmm. And she said, my husband's on his way. And he has something to tell you. And she said, we, we got back in that voice. And if something happened with the scissors, little girl got out. Nobody knew she got out. She was mm-hmm. a two-year-old. She mm-hmm. got it was no one's fault. And walking through that with a family that I did not know at all, didn't know anything about their faith background, didn't know anything. But then over that four days watching teachers, their family, their pastor coming in and all of that. We loosely keep up with each other on Facebook. And to see how they have over these last Remember what suffering is. Having what you don't want. 
wanting what you don't have. And you can't get things back. You know, you can't get things back. Um, but let's talk about this. Can denial be healthy? Can it be healthy? What do you think? I think it can. Okay. Um, because it can maybe shelter mm-hmm. um, an experience that or God is like protecting them, like from hearing or seeing something. So if somebody does go through a denial stage, you, I feel like you have to be really careful not to push them mm-hmm. because they might snap. You just never know. So and it's not my job to make them realize it. It's just my job to be there for them. Yeah, we don't have to fix it. Right. Don't have to fix it. Right. So that's a good point. What about what's the positive about denial? If you were encountering, you know, someone and you're realizing, hmm, I've really not <laughs> grasped what's okay. going on. Maybe as long as they don't see you too long, mm-hmm. but it's not really, we can't fight because that's being walking through it. And I think denial can be healthy when you can't, because it's almost like a cushion for a, for a bit. Self-destructive, I think, too. Mm-hmm. You have to unhealthy in other ways. Right. So, what would yes. like what would be what would be self-destructive? Like, what does that mean, self-destructive? I don't know. I feel like when it goes against what God would say mm-hmm. is right and wrong. You know what I mean? Or if they're using other means to promote a pain. <clears throat> right. Right. You know what which right. which can which happen. Be, right. People do that. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Which would be that would be part of the yeah. yeah abuse. Yeah. Anytime that denial turns into abuse, I guess. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Because ad- abuse, you can abuse denial. Mm-hmm. You really can. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Something I was thinking was just, I feel like after a big trashy or a big mm-hmm. something, it's always healthy to give yourself some time to get over, not get over, but just experience the grief, experience mm-hmm. the, you know, and. Sometimes, like that's why I was like, I don't, I, I don't believe that denial is like healthy, really. But in that moment, whenever you don't really have dealing with it right then, whenever it happens, you can make some really bad decisions mm-hmm. and really yeah, like, that's a good need point. to take care of yourself. Mm-hmm. I guess that's the healthy yeah. side of it. It's yeah, and so that you a don't little cushion, as you were yeah. saying, and then not the whole thing like that. Yeah, and I think that's a good point. So you don't make decisions that later on you're like, oh, I'm not thinking, you know, kind of thing. Um, yeah, like I remember um, a friend of mine, she, um, oh gosh, Julie, I was 15, she was 16, and she um, was still in a car wreck. That's been a long time ago. And um, I remember going to see her mom and dad. Probably about a month after she passed away. I just, you know, just wanted to be there. Us girls had spent time in their homes, home parties, you know what I'm saying? Just kind of wanting to be around them. And I remember purposely going to Julie's room. You know, I asked Rita, she's like, you don't go in there, it's fine, you know. And it was 
feel exactly like it was the afternoon she left. Mm. The cup was still sitting there with the straw in it. Because I remember getting over there that night. You know, her bed wasn't made. Like a typical 16-year-old room, you know? Like, a few clothes on the floor, you know, kind of thing. And it just struck me. Her room is still like this. You know, it's like she's going to walk back in the door any minute, you know, kind of thing. And then fast forward about three months later, I think, some of us girls went over to see Miss Reba and Mr. Sam. And um, I remember walking by and Emma popped it back in and got picked up. You know what I'm saying? And it looked like a guest room. And that affected me weird, too. Both of it affected me weird. I looked back on that moment and thought, come on, I'm going to go see Missy. And, you know, like she's going to come and walk me through the door. And so, to me, when I think of denial being healthy, I think that's a good example. At some point, someone, who knows who, said, it could have been our siblings, it could have said, hey, we got to put you I mean, who knows what that was about. But research was interesting because you, you all hit it perfectly research has found that denial can be healthy in small doses because they actually say it's the brain's way of dosing mm-hmm. itself. Our brain can only process so much at one time. Especially if it's a big tragedy or suddenly some big diagnosis health-wise or even if it's not as personal to someone we love and care for or whatever, the brain can only handle so much information at one time. And so it's more, it doses it. And so denial is kind of that, think of it like this. We have to take medicine to get well in the amount of doses we're given, right? And usually it's over, you know, take six hours apart or, you know, it's an antibiotic, then they dose or whatever. And it's dosed in small increments to help our bodies get healthy. In a lot of ways, what research is showing is denial operates the same way small doses for the brain to kind of regroup a little bit. So sometimes you'll see people that are in a grieving process or going through loss, sometimes they'll just go do something kind of fun and normal, whatever that is, but normal. And it's really their brain's way of saying, I can't, I can't take anymore. And they just have to have a distraction to kind of have some normal that makes sense? Yeah. But it's like what you said as far as then if you see denial cross over something unhealthy where they're truly stuck in that denial and maybe they're using other means to numb their emotions. They're not quite getting there. Well, that's when I think it's appropriate to step in and probably either you be the listener they need to dump on or you help them get to somebody that can, you know, kind of walk them that. I know um, hospice here, they have all kinds of things. They have camp wings, which is for kids um, that have suffered loss. They also, um, and they used to, I don't know, do they still offer the group sessions? And all that's usually free for people going through grief. I think so. Yeah, but hospice here is a great resource in this community. They offer so much that's free for people. Uh, I know at one time they had a counselor up there as well. I don't know if she's still with them or not. But, you know, find those resources in the community that are free and don't cost anything. Because a lot of times they're just coming out of major expenses, whether it's medical bills or funeral expenses or 
who knows what. Um, another crazy grief that you're probably gonna that's more common is divorce. That's a grief. That's a loss. Regardless of what led them there, it's still a loss. And it's kind of that it's so common in our culture, we don't think of divorce, that people grieve through that, that there's a loss. Um, if you're seeing them stuck in that, you know, especially if it's because a marriage ended or, you know, in a divorce, I would highly recommend, you know, getting them to, I know, different places around here offer divorce care, um, things like that that are free, um, that are very solid, you know, um, I hate to use the word programs, but you know what I mean, like things for them to get plugged into. And sometimes, you know, when you're going through something, you kind of want to meet people of kind of your people. <laughs> They're going through the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, you're kind of your tribe, your village, whatever. And sometimes it's just sitting and listening to someone else that is walking a similar path and how they are walking through it sometimes can help move somebody along way better than what we can do. You know, because if you haven't walked it, sometimes you can't say I understand because you don't. You know what I'm saying? You, you know, but if you can plug them in somewhere with people that they can click with, connect with, and identify with. But speaking of, um, so grief affects us different ways. It affects me in different ways. Specifically, I found an article that was just about on how grief affects women. Because women and men were Two different, just two different things. You know, men grieve, they just grieve differently. You know, um, but grief, one can shake our faith. Because what, what's one of the things that people most talk about when, when life goes bad, they want to know why. Don't we all? Okay, God, that's not fair. Why this? Why that? <coughs> that doesn't make any sense. I mean, tell me why. I still can't answer. Why would God allow a two-year-old? I can't answer that. I don't know. Seems pretty unfair, right? I mean, that's just kind of our natural inclination to be like, that's so wrong. That's so wrong. Um, so instantly their faith, regardless of where they place their faith or what faith they live out, is it, it shakes their faith. It may shake their faith in the medical field. <laughs> if something doesn't turn out right, it may shake their faith in God if they do have a faith in God. It may shake their faith in other people. Because mm -hmm. you know what? When you're in need, you put a lot of expectations on other people. And guess what? We're going to let each other down. Mm -hmm. We're not going to show up on time. We're not going to say the right thing. We're not gonna, you know what I'm saying? And so then it gets really personal on that end. Grief can cause us here's a key one for women. It will cause women more than likely to question our identity. Mm -hmm. You see, if you've always been, you know, so-and-so's wife, well, so-and-so now is gone. Whether that's through divorce or through death, well, who are you? If, you always, if you've always been so-and-so's mom and that child is no longer alive, who are you? If you've always been so-and-so's grandma, so-and-so's sister, you know what I'm saying? So that identity's been removed, and it's a void. Mm -hmm. And they're like, well, who, 
who am I? So then they begin to try to figure out their place. Who am I? Grief is personal. It's very personal. And grief has its own DNA. Like all of us have our own DNA. And that's why I said we could all experience the same event and we would all respond differently. We all would. Every one of us. Um, and here's the other thing. Grief, um, people that are grieving, um, they're entitled to their own schedule to grieve. They're, they're entitled to that. Um, you know, one of my friends who they lost their son um, 10 years ago, so hard to lost in years, but, you know, she, like two years ago, we were together and she said, will this ever end? Will this grief ever end? You know, and I looked at her and I said, I don't know. I've never been a child. I don't know. I don't know, I don't know where, I don't, I don't even know what that looks like. You know, and so it was just, and I think when I said I don't know, it just kind of opened up that door for her to talk even more. She's like, man, I, I can laugh some days and I feel like myself again and then bam, it comes out of nowhere. You know what I'm saying? It's like, does that ever end? I don't know. I think as long as we're on this earth and we go through loss, we long for those people back, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, three things. Um, allow, allow those wounds to breathe. When they're coming to this door and you, best case scenario, you have the heads up of what's happened in their life. But you're going to have a few people come in you don't know and they're going to lay it on you and they sit in the chair. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? You're like, oh. Um, yeah. And I mean, because there's something about walking in to a salon, sitting in a chair, and suddenly you feel permission to talk. I mean, we're a captive audience, right? You're not going anywhere. I'm not going anywhere. We're a captive audience. It is. That's powerful. It's touch. Because when you're in, out in you're shopping or you're doing something you don't get that personal touch and when they come in here and sit in your chair you touch them and they feel it gives comfort that's that's powerful that's powerful powerful. it allows them to take that guard down it really does that's interesting that my mother-in-law she retired from nursing after 37 years and she has seen it all she wound up being a manager at a very large hospital in Atlanta, and she just oversaw the scheduling of the OR and the surgeries. So she just scheduled surgeries, but she had to be in the operating room. Okay, she at least had to be there for the beginning of the surgery, and she had to come in at the end of the surgery. Um, and then she was also the person that would give any information during surgery to the family usually if it was if three things that like. I heart transplant, something like that, mm-hmm. you know, where you're going to be there for hours. She would be that person. And she, three years, um, if y'all, if y'all ever offered this here at Jane, they'd be lined up down the sidewalk to mm-hmm. deliver this. But she'd be so tired sometimes. Um, and she just wanted to go get her hair washed and wake up. Mm-hmm. So she didn't have to worry about it the next morning. Or do it that night when she got home. She was so tired. So she would go to, she would call 
her person, her gal, and she's like, can I just come in? She's like, you're right. And the blood dries. And she said for that 20 minutes, she would, she would fall asleep. Mm-hmm. Somebody washing her hair, she would doze off, and then blood dry. And then, you know, she said she only charged me 10 bucks. And she said, I always paid her 20 because I felt like, you know, she did that for me. But she said probably about twice a month. She would just be so dog tired. You know, she'd been on her feet. They'd had a heart transplant or something like that. And she said that was the best part of my whole week was just having somebody just wash and blow dry my hair. And she'd go home. <laughs> and I just thought, man, what a way to minister to nurses. But anyway, um, to allow them to grieve, whatever that's going to look like. They could sit in your chair the whole time, your cut, cut or whatever, and cry them. It's okay. Don't let that be uncomfortable. Make that an oasis for them. Just make that a very safe place. Just quietly give them a Kleenex. Just don't. It's okay. If they apologize for crying, say, don't apologize. Don't ever apologize for crying. Mm-hmm. You were talking to me earlier because some of us grew up where crying was like, you know, it was a bad thing. And I honestly, I think maybe you were the first person that told me because I couldn't stop crying. And you said that was okay. 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 And even now I'll catch myself where I feel like I need to cry. Yeah. I'm like, no, like you can't cry. <laughs> but when I think about that, and it is, it is freeing, and it is, I feel like God's always helping us cleanse our soul and get it out. And it, that's important point. The Lord, the Lord wired us physiologically to respond to emotion. Tears is one of them. Mm-hmm. And it's so true. How many, I think we all have been good girls. We've had that good 20 minute cry, and then we're good. We're like, I'm good. Everybody, your husband or your kids are going, What's up with you? I'm good. I'm good. It's the best. Sometimes that's the best thing is to allow for that release because your body's needing it. It's neat. Don't stuff it. Don't, you know, kind of thing. And um, so definitely, let's sit in your chair and cry. Just hand them a Kleenex. It's okay, cry all you want. This is a great place to cry. You cry, okay. We got a deal. You know, and just keep moving along. You know, don't don't make it odd, don't make them feel awkward. Just let them know this is a safe place and cry it out. You know, cry with them if you feel like it. Um, avoid isolation. Here's the other thing. If you have if you have a regular client and you know they've hit a tough spot in their life and suddenly they're not coming with this regular. Okay. Call and find out why. Don't let them not be here. Even if you have to strike a deal with, maybe it's a money issue now, or whatever, say, listen, hey, that doesn't matter. I want want to see your face, so get in here. You know what I'm saying? Embrace them with that. Because a lot of times when people are hurting and they're suffering, a lot of people, it's that fight or flight, and they withdraw. I'm a withdrawer. I don't know how many of y'all are. I'm a withdrawer. That's what I want to do. I want to be by myself. And sometimes that's appropriate. You know, sometimes you need to be by yourself, but not to be by yourself. So if you see somebody that they're not coming in as often, call them. Find out why. And say, listen, I know things are hard right now. I want to be your face. And say, look, because I want to see you, come in. I'm going to wash your hair. I'm going to give you a trim. That's it. But I'm not even going to charge you. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Do whatever it takes to get them in. Because sometimes being around people is the medicine they need. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And what what a great testimony 
in a community to a salon that you're more about the relationship than the cut and color. You know what I'm saying? Which I already know y'all have that here, but to be able, because let me tell you something, she's going to leave here, she's going to go meet a girlfriend for lunch, and she's going to say, you know, Caitlin called me, and she had not seen me in eight weeks, and she told me to come in, and I was on your program, that's the best thing ever. That, you know what I'm saying, and what that communicates to people outside of here is you're about the women that come in here. You're about... You know, and I'm sure y'all have a few guys that venture here too, but you know, you're about that relationship. Mm-hmm. Are you doing okay? What can I do for you? You know, maybe always just have if, if you know they're coming in ahead of time, you know, maybe just go get them just I don't know, just a simple little goodie bag. Put something here because they know they've been thought about ahead of time. You know, whatever, nothing expensive. Just that personal touch can make all the difference in the world. And then last but not least is Encourage them as they're opening up to you to accept, you know, realistic goals for their process. I think we as women, we feel, we feel like we still have to do everything. We still have to keep all the plates spinning. It's okay to say I can't. It's okay to say I just, I just can't eat today. It's okay to say that. that they're, and to let them know, hey, you're not a superwoman. You don't have to be a superwoman. You have limits. You don't have to be all things to all people right now. Mm-hmm. Let everybody else love on you. And you know as women, we love to give, but it's very hard for us to receive. Mm-hmm. It's very hard for us to receive and to help give them that permission to say, you know what? I think that's a, that's a realistic goal. You know, if they've got ten things they feel like they have to do, they don't have to do all ten things. They may have to do three of the things mm-hmm. for the week. But then also, if you see them getting stuck, here's something also that's really important. If they're talking to you and they're just like, I just, I'm not doing well, I'm not functioning, whatever, help them just get to the next thing. What's your next thing today that you have to do? Maybe it's time to go to the grocery store. Go to the grocery store, get your groceries, go home, put them away, and then that's your next thing. Sometimes just doing the next thing takes away that overwhelmed feeling of I have to do all the you don't have to do all the things, but getting them to do the next thing. And sometimes the next thing might be like, hey, I haven't seen you for eight weeks. Just stop by. I just want to tell you, hey, what's going on? Mm-hmm. I miss you. Mm-hmm. I miss seeing you. You know, people need to hear those words when life's unraveled because one thing we as women, we don't like things to feel out of control. Mm-hmm. Well, we're lost. We, we lose control. That doesn't mean you're controlling. Mm-hmm. It just means you lose control of your calendar. You lose control of emotions a little bit. You know what I'm saying? We like to be a little bit, you know, as my mom always said, cool, calm, and collected. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you can't always be cool, calm, and collected. It's okay if you're not. You know, and so to create such an oasis here, and here's, here's what's crazy. What if, let's say, let's just think six months down the road, what if six months down the road, y'all begin seeing, you know, we've got a lot of women coming in here that are dealing with different issues. What if right here, one evening and a night, there was a group that met here to minister to one another? You know what I'm saying? You just never know what can come out of you guys being so intentional behind the chair of what's going to go on in the chair. Because they're going to leave here. They may not be able to communicate to you in the moment. And I'm sure you too, because you've got the longest, you know, years here at this. You know, through the years, somebody comes back to you and says, 
you said this to me, you had people in the conversation, but they do, because it's what they needed to hear. You know, so to make it that oasis and to walk them, walk with them through that loss, whatever that loss is, it can often mean a whole different thing. It's like I said, it's not actually death, it could be all kinds of different losses. It could be kids going off to college for the first time. It could be the last child going off to college and suddenly it's an empty nest. I mean, Loss is loss. You've lost, you know, we're in that phase. Our youngest goes to college next year. And, you know, it's like this is kind of our oldest is in college. So we have one at home, which is weird. And now we're going to have in a year nobody at home. And so you kind of think, huh, you know, this is strange. You know, and so because that, that season, that parenting, that was your type of parenting, I should say. You're always a parent, but it's about to come to an end. And so, you know, I can go two days now and get one text from our oldest, you know, kind of thing. She's so busy. And it's realizing, like, gosh, we've gone from, you know, they're still at home. You're every day talking every day. But then they leave home and then that transition begins to happen. So, you know, loss can be all kinds of things. And to, like I said, again, just create that safe place and to know that, those stages aren't necessarily in that order. Every stage can last longer than the other. Some stages people will skip off together. You'll find some people will never get, they'll never even deny it. <laughs> you know, they're like, and sometimes that's a personality thing. Some people are just real matter of fact. Other people, they feel it more deeply. Other people, they don't like change. So now there's change and they fight it with everything. You know? <laughs> so I mean, you just, you just never so it's really asking the questions, knowing when to ask the questions, being appropriate with that time frame, and really being like, hey, is this the time I need to remain quiet and just let them talk and I won't really respond? Or do I need to be a little more, hey, get in here, let's hang out. Mm-hmm. Go mm-hmm. stop by. <laughs> and you, you'll know the clients you can do that with. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? You'll know. Um, but anyway, so real, and just wrapping up, um, I'd love to, you know, hear from you guys. Like, do you see a lot of women more opening up? You do? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't know. It just, uh, it's like almost when they hit the door and when they hit the chair, something seems, you know, so well put together and so hard in a sense, but it is something about seeing that chair that just just doesn't come out. Yeah. And there's a trust. I love that. Yes, there's a trust like this, you know, they're not going to go around and tell her about my business or, yeah, I always think back to Still Magnolias. Where where is the hub of Still Magnolias? (laughs) Yes. In Trudy's shop. that You know what I'm saying? And that's where all the juicy details came out and all because that was there. And we women are like that. You know, we are. And so you guys have an important role in their lives. Don't ever underestimate that. Whether you're just starting out and you're doing it forever, you, you do. You have an important role that will carry them through so many things. You know, so many things. I mean, I'm your dresser here, which she's kind of partially retired now, but we still keep in touch. So, I mean, she saw me from my first day of kindergarten 
She did my hair for my graduation picture. She did my hair for my wedding. That's a lifetime. You know what I'm saying? And so that's what I'm saying is you have an important role in these milestones in people's lives. So you just you consider that, you know, and just the great responsibility that you get to have because you've decided this is what I'm going to do as my career, and that is a great career to choose because of what all you get to do. You have you don't have to go out and look for these people. They're coming right in here to you. So that is just something that, you know, I see it as, I call it like this. I think I've said this to Catherine. Yeah, I have a counseling degree. But y'all also are counselors. You can just not have a degree at all. Because it's kind of the same thing. People come in and they, they do, they see that chair and they know this is my mom. Thank y'all. This is my. I love coming out here. Thank you so much. Thank you. I know y'all got to be back. Oh, thank you. Thank you.